Welcome to the Board of Education, where troublemakers and system breakers gather to discuss how they are dismantling inequity in public education. Calling our meeting to order is Chairman of the Board, Jonathan Santos Silva. It's me again, y'all, Jonathan Santos Silva, and the place to be. Um, and I couldn't be here with uh, anyone better than my main man, Doc Miller. How's it going, Doc? I mean, Beyonce might be better. Um, <laughs> Like I can think of a few people who would be better, but I appreciate the compliment. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if um, if Beyonce could handle all this. So, with all due re- respect oh. to Queen B, um, you know, I've lost right some listeners with that comment. Nah, <laughs> I think there are those who think she can handle anything. You but- know what? She's pretty talented, multi-talented, in fact. But I don't know if uh, she could work the boards, man. I don't know. I don't well, know. hey, well, I'll tell you what. I, I'm just, I'm just glad to be here. So I'm honored to be here and, and I'm ready for an amazing conversation with another amazing board member. Before we get started, though, just going to let you know, this is a candid conversation and our boy Ron Rapitalo does not hold back. He so doesn't hold back and he doesn't filter. Yeah. So, so uh, in, in, uh, in the spirit of transparency, parental discretion is advised <laughs> no but you know what sometimes you, those are the best conversations right um you know i think back to growing up sitting out you know with my one of my uncles or with you know some other you know venerable elder and then you know kick it to you straight give it to you straight you know no chaser um and I think that's what Ron does today, man. I'm really glad to have him here. All around great dude, um, a, a principal at Agility Consulting. And, uh, you know, I think a really great person to ha- have this conversation about how we navigate this time of social unrest, increased uh, or heightened racial sensitivities, especially um, as a Asian American slash Pacific Islander um, who is leading in the education space. What I've seen what's really destructive of the model of the minority myth within our, the API community is that it's taught us that, you know, we should stay silent, not only about our own, the violence happening in our own community, but I think what's been destructive is that it's separated us from other communities of color. So the other sentiment I, I want to say that's kind of, you know, rippling out there and which disheartens me to hear because I fundamentally don't agree with it and I think you don't and several of other people of color that I know that are not API is the sentiment of, well, what has the API community done for us lately? You know what? Or, or sentiments like, now you know what it feels like. Y'all weren't down for Black Lives Matter. Why should we have your back? And look, I, I, John, I got to tell you, man, I, I, I get that sentiment. It's real. And I could see why people would feel that way. And, you know, we're black and brown. I get it. Yet at the same time, this is like the intellectual construct in me, but also my heart construct. Like when we have people suffering in our country through racism, it, it rears its head in different ways. I understand the anti-blackness that exists very strongly in the API community that exists in all communities, right? And that we as an API community have not done enough to combat that and wrestle with it within our own communities. At the end of it all, I'm going to give the following analogy, right? I think there are medical professionals. If a white supremacist or a Nazi were to end up on in the ER, they would have to treat that person. 
because you've you, you've shared an oath. I think any here here here's what I'm gonna say. This hard. Any of us that believes in dismantling racism can't choose the curse. Who the fuck that we want to back? You can't. Like it, it just then then you are perpetuating it yourself. Now I think it's a it's a it's a real argument to have. Like what do we do as communities of color to really start having uh, others back? And having that parallel and say, I still have your back, despite the fact you, you as an API community, have not been as 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 out front and as you know um, used your voice for Black Lives Matter or other things, right? I get that, but I think we can both we can have a both end conversation to say, you know what, I still got your back, but at the end of it all, I think for the API community with anti Asian racism, we need to be the ones out in front. I also feel the tension. Black people are not going to save us with this. Latinx, like, we need allies. We need white allies, too. We need Native American allies. We need allies. But we have to be the ones to be out front to solve this and ask as a collective and also play a part in understanding that this is a piece of the larger pie of the destruction of racism. Yes. And equity, right? For me, like, that's, that's the clarion call. Like, you know, when I hear this stuff, like, John, it makes me want to cry. I'm like, damn, I, because you read when you read people's pain on this, it's that shit is real. Mm-hmm. Oh, like I know how I got treated when I would go into Korean nail salons and I would go to Chinese Ameri- Chinese restaurants. Like, F them. Mm-hmm. Now you know what it's like to get beat. Welcome mm-hmm. to my damn daily existence. That shit, that, that is real. Mm-hmm. That is very real. And I think that also has pushed some API folks, you know, the crimes against Asians group that you and I are a part of. You know, for folks to say, well, after I'm just going to go get guns. I'm like, you not going to buck down. You having a couple of AK-47s if the military or the, or, or the popo going to come down on you. You right. always going to lose that battle. Right, right. No. Have you seen what's happened to David Koresh and Waco? Have you oh, seen? I, uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, these militias. There's a litany of history. Like, you always going to, when the federal government or like, they want to crack down on you, you're always going to lose. That is not the way. Yeah. And so that may feel like it came out of left field, you know, this, the conversation about militias, right? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I think some extra context will be helpful for me. <laughs> um, so, yeah, no doubt. Um, so Ron and I are part of a, uh, like a group on social media that I don't know if it came out of, but it certainly grew in response to the increase in violence against Asian American Pacific Islanders in the immediate aftermath of, or in the immediate um, follow-up to the spread of the coronavirus, especially around the time when uh, politicians, pundits were calling it the China virus or this Asian virus, making, you know, associating it with uh, a group of people. And then we saw people getting either um, verbally abused, physically attacked, et cetera. And some of it was on video. And so um, in the group, there were voices who were trying to draw these connections uh, that had, you know, heretofore been kind of hidden connections between Asian American groups and other groups of color, Black Americans, uh, Latinos, Indigenous folks, and this the history of racist violence in America, you know, um, and there were so there were those who were like, wow, you know, we've missed out on this opportunity to be a part of the greater or the larger work around social. Um, you know, social justice, although there have always been Asian Americans engaged in that work. So I don't want to make it sound like, you know, it's monolithic. 
but like we've missed out on this opportunity. And then there was another vocal group who was just like, we're not part of that. We're Asian. We're not part of that. And what we really need to do is we just need to have our own guns and protect ourselves from these crazy people. There is a power for the status quo. There's a power for what has always been the way, translate the, the dominant, predominantly white culture of America that benefits from the maintained siloing of groups who actually have a lot in common with their experiences. You know, and, and but the, the blueprint for keeping us separated starts with the construction and reconstruction of whiteness in America. Because mm -hmm. you think about it, you know, you go back to, uh, was it No Irish or Dogs? You know, oh, yeah. very anti-Italian sentiments. When folks realize, right, like if, if all these poor immigrants and black people and other folks got together and, and built power to change the system, then, you know, we're going to have experienced disruption. So we re-identified or redefined what white was. Irish became white, Italian became white. And I think that's a lot of what the minority, the model minority myth is about. It is about pulling out another group so we don't build the collective power. We don't build coalition around the type of change we need to make this country live up to its uh, greatest aspirations. It's so interesting that you say that, Jonathan, because the, the conversation I had before I got on the phone with you was with another, I feel like there are so few of us, a Philippine-American DEI colleague. The fact that I'm saying Philippine-American DEI, I'm like, That's like I don't know how many are. I can count. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, and I know there are folks out there, like I, I've talked to aspiring ones, that, you know, the one, but like folks that like, if I take just with who publishes social media content about DEI, and you can't do DEI, like there are folks corporate that do diversity and inclusion. I'm like, you're not doing DEI. When you don't take equity as a part of it and you're corporate, it's bullshit, frankly. It is, like this is window dressing, right? Um, but there was something about, we talked about our Filipino identity and the, our, our culturation and proximity two communities of color that I think is fundamentally different than other Asian American communities, frankly, right? Um, E.J.R. David read a wrote a really good book. He's a sociologist called The Latinos of Asia. Um, I'm, I'm gonna butcher the kind of other part of the title. It's like how Filipino Americans transcend, you know, race, something like that. I, I think the point of the book was like, there's something about like Filipino American acculturation that, and I'll take my own experience here, right? I don't want to speak for all Filipino Americans, obviously, but our, my own experiences allowed me to basically be racially flexible and malleable and who I get along with and how. So Jonathan, you know this about me, man. We, we've rocked for a couple of years, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How many folks look like me in education leaders of color? Not many. Not ma I mean, even if you broadly uh, like group in all folks who I would, you know, phenotypically identify, oh, that, that person's Asian, like Indian, uh, you know, Pakistani, yeah. even if you like broaden out to that, there's still not very many Asian American members that I, that I can identify, yeah. you know. And, and then if you cut that down, who, who has the respect of black and brown leaders within Edlock that looks like me? I think you, I mean, as far as when I think about vocal leaders, folks that folks look, look to and listen, it's you really that I can think of off the top of my head. There may be others and I, and I apologize if I'm forgetting anybody, but 
you're the first person that comes to my mind. Yeah. So I say that, right, because I feel a, a huge personal responsibility, right, because like when the black and brown get down gets happened, I'm, 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 I'm the brown Filipino brother that's always invited to the cookout, to the party, right? For a lot of different reasons, that's not the purpose of this podcast, right, which is a different kind of like identity formation and acculturation-like podcast, right? But I, also, I feel a duty of being able to say, like, y'all look like at some level, if you're down for me, you're going to be down for people who look like me, who might not have the level of like wokeness or whatever you have, what have you. Because I think at the end of it all, like if we don't all row in the same direction to dismantle racism, despite some of the tension and the ish we all have to solve within our communities of color, it's going to be a really uphill battle, yeah. right? And so that's just something that I, that I think about very acutely, like who I am, who I'm connected to and the respect that I have across many communities. And this has been something I've tested in the API community. Folks that are out in front, you know, um, friend of mine, like leads um, uh, the, 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 the council, is it the councils, the committee uh, for Asian children and families? My friend Vanessa is like someone like me who, speaks to all sides and understands all sides and can be a bridge builder. She's like, someone like you is really important because there's not a lot of people like me in our community, frankly, who's got credibility in all these communities and relationships. That's the key. Um, something I, I want to like probably read more of his stuff. Embarrassingly, if not, but I probably have seen him, his, his speeches, but Brian Stevenson talks about proximity to dismantle racism. Jonathan, you and I have that. When I look at who you're close to, your own family, your friend group, the way you grew up, and the same with me, it is not at all surprising you and I are in this combo in the way that we are, because this is personal, right? When I got quoted in the New York Times about the specialized high school admissions process, being a Stuyvesant High School grad, and why I care about dismantling the current admissions process, which is inherently racist, um, I, oh, we got new masks. Oh, yay. Thank They're you, baby. Pink. They're pink. You want to say hi, Sophia? Hi. Hi. <laughs> how are you? <laughs> Get it. Okay, she wants to. Hi. Hello. How are you? <laughs> this is the cutest thing I've ever seen. Uh, I think we may have lost our host and our board member for just a minute there uh, as um, Ron's beautiful daughter Sophia has come in with their new mask. So uh, I'm going to take a minute as, as uh, they get to play around uh, to remind everybody you are listening to the Board of Ed podcast. Remember uh, this episode and all of our other episodes are available at www.theboardofed.com. That's the B-O-R-E-D-O-F-E-D.com. We're uh, out there on Facebook, uh, the Board of Ed, and we're on Instagram and Twitter at the underscore b-o-r-e-d of ed um so join us there um it looks like the conversation uh is is starting <laughs> uh to wrap back up uh let's let's dial back in to see what jonathan and uh ron are digging into our heads and our hearts are separated because of racism right and at some level what do we do to humanize each other one of the ways we humanize each other, frankly, is to develop a relationship with each other and be near each other, right? So what are the ways we build community with each other intentionally to get to know each other better, to see that we share a lot of the same values, the same things, 
And mm. then we want to fight for a lot of the same things. I think ultimately becomes. No, you. Oh, goodness. Why are you. Oh, my God. Okay. Oh my God. Okay. okay. Oh my God. I got to keep a wig on. I'm driven to get to know people. Mm. Right. Across the swaths. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I could always push myself to do more, but I think I particularly focus on getting to know really amazing people of color mm. and white allies. Yeah. Oh, right. you, are, you are like a, you are like a, you're like a rabid networker. Like, like you know, everybody, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I think that's, but when I think about like this moment, right. In terms of being a more active voice for anti against, for, you know, against anti-Asian racism, right. For collective communities of color coming together. Right. I think the fact that I, on an individual level, I'm so like, frenetic and like psychotic about connecting with people it's created a reputation for me like one you can trust me two that i'm generous and three that i'm i'm going to get to know you like that just matters to me deeply and if i rewind back to something that's always been important to me it comes from the origin story of how my family came to america i'm a child of philippine immigrants my family settling the way that they did in east flatbush which is still a predominantly caribbean neighborhood like we grew up, I was born in Skinks County Hospital. I grew up around Jamaican folks in particular. I still remember Nurse Jackie was like the, the nurse who made sure we got treated well when I would go to the dentist in Kings County Hospital. Always took care of us. And I would see my mom and my father have these relationships with black folks. They were friends. So at a very young age, it wasn't like, oh, these are people not to trust. These are, these are good people. Because I saw my parents model that, right? And my parents were, very, you know, before I even knew what networking was, were just really, in, in different ways, very good at establishing relationships with people and many different people. And so that's just carried. It's become something like, I think it's something that's carried in my DNA. My daughter, who you saw as, as part of this, is really good with kids. I joke around, I call her the mayor of her school. She's a chip <laughs> off the old block. It's really funny. Like she enters her school, She's like, hi, Miss Colleen. She knows all the kids. She knows all the parents. It's like, it's so cute. And then when people see me in the way that I act, they go, oh my God, wrong. And then she looks like me. They're like, you really, she basically is you with like long curly hair. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you know, but those kinds of things, like if you, you create a culture and environment for that, right? And it all started like for me doing it with her really young. Like I've always been a big fan, you know, for our local businesses, if I walk in TNJ or our Vietnamese restaurant or any of these other spots to be like, let's say, hi, Sophia. You should go, hi. Oh, <laughs> hey, hi. <laughs> oh, hi, buddy. It's so cute. Oh, my God. It's so cute. This is Asa. Say hi, Asa. Hi, Asa. How you doing, yeah. buddy? Hi. Is that Hi. Hi. How old are you? Two. 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 Wow. You're a big boy. Thank you yeah. for joining us. You have anything you want to say? You want to say anything? You want to say anything? What? What are you going to say? Go ahead. Say it. Talk. Big boy. You're a big boy? Is that what you said? Yeah. yeah? <laughs> I said, were you eating an apple? Is that what you were doing? Are you eating an apple? So, no. What is it? What is, what is that? I saw some. Banana? Like, 
Is it banana? Yeah, banana. Mm, who Daddy's, doesn't love bananas? Daddy's table is going to be all slimy with banana juice. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully that doesn't turn into fruit flies. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I wish the Board of Ed was a video podcast uh, because it's this would be the cutest episode ever. Uh, cuteness overload. Um, Jonathan will join us back as soon as he sanitizes his workspace. But uh, one one thing that I'm, I'm hearing... Um, from the conversation that we're having right now is how how different the the head response and the heart response are and and you know I, I identify as a white male and we have to be cognizant that when we're facing the 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 perceived threats of being the different being the other it's not something that 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 i am always ready to, ex, to to understand because as a white man in america i've not had to to really experience that I've, i don't have to put my myself in a place to really experience that you know um oh, oh you're back i'm back <laughs> yeah the desk is clean a <laughs> <laughs> little stickier but you're back I'm back. Uh, you know, I think uh, it, it's, it is that and the fact that because so much of the rest of the way that the society works is to centralize whiteness as normal and healthy and, you know, just the way it is, it's very easy for well-intentioned white folks to experience that discomfort and then to step back into privilege of like, uh, I don't like the way that feels. And so for those of us who are, you know, identify as BIPOC, black, indigenous, uh, AAPI, um, Latinx, or folks who, um, you know, who, you know, who are navigating spaces where their sexual identity is known and that, and that's not a comfortable place to be. Mm -hmm. We don't get to just check in and out. Um, And so you kind of develop other, you know, you're almost callous you know, and develop defense mechanisms for like when you feel that way, how to just like pivot and move. Um, and so I think, you know, it's why you see such discomfort among uh, conservative white Christian males as people in those groups are starting to call out when they see um, sexism, racism, and other forms of um, otherism. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to handle it because yeah. there's, they have 30, 40, 50, 60 years of, who you are is just perfectly fine. It's everyone else who needs to adjust to you, make way yeah. for you. Yeah. And, and we, we often, uh, particularly folks who identify as white or, or, or who are part of the dominant culture in some form of their identity, will very quickly leverage their privilege that, that comes with that identity. Uh, a prime example is, uh, what was her name in the part? Was it Amy Cooper? Was Amy that her Cooper, name? Yeah. yeah. Um, who like goes immediately into this place of, because I'm a white woman, I can say black man. And, 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 and then she gets the benefit. Like she leverages that moment. Here's the thing, man. How many Amy Cooper? I, I've been managed by Amy Coopers, bro. <laughs> I've worked with Amy Coopers or peers. 
I've seen Amy Hoopers I've run into in my life, who are executive directors and senior leaders across many organizations. I went to high school with Amy Coopers. I went to junior high school with Amy Coopers. I am Facebook friends with Amy Coopers. Bro, <laughs> if I had to tag all the damn Amy Coopers in my life, I wouldn't have enough room. I would need like 25 status updates. Please. Mm, mm, no, like, you're right. Mm. I got fired by an Amy Cooper. Here's the irony, just like Amy Cooper, not only liberal, but if, if I were to tell you her name and you looked up her bio, she does equity work. That's the fucking irony. <laughs> it's whack. It is whack. And that's the thing I, I, you know, I was just talking to a friend of mine, um, or coworker, but like becoming friends, she's really cool. Uh, and she's, she's a white woman or she's Jewish. So she was like, you know, I'm trying to grapple with this because like, you know, as I look at it, it's like, she knew what she was doing. She weaponized African-American. Like when she said, I'm calling the cops and telling them that African-American, like that was a threat. And I'm like, no, you're right. It was, I said, I got it right away. Like when she was like, I'm going to call them and tell them an African-American. She didn't say I'm calling the cops. Right. Yeah. Like, which still could have been messed up. But the part when she said, I call the cops and telling them. an Yeah. I was like, it was like, you're, you're conscious and liberal quote unquote enough to not call him the N word or something. I know I should call him an African-American, but you're still, uh, devious yeah. enough to know that invoking that is probably going to get you a, a certain response. Oh, absolutely. It protection. Yeah. It gets the whole like intent versus impact conversation. If you believe what she says, she didn't intend to do that. We know when we do this work, intent versus impact. Like if you impacted someone that way, you got to own up. That's on you. Right. And that's the thing that I was wondering about too, though, because I was like, she knew what she was doing when she said African-American. And at the same time, we, outside of the, 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 the situation and the, the, the conflict, the stress, whatever, if yeah. you had asked her a hundred times, what would you do if this happened? In her rational thinking mind, she probably would have said, oh, it's not a big deal. How would race? I have a problem with black males. But it's like, it made me think about, and I mean, this is a question to you because you know what you do, like the, some of the DEI work is just, yeah. it makes me think about like how much of the DEI work makes us feel good and it's all here up in the top of our brain, but like the, the, the programming underneath. Cause like when it came down to it, that's where she went. And, and if we had asked her, like I said, a hundred times out of a hundred, oh, I probably, I would never do that, blah, 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 blah. But when it, when the stress, uh, you know, the, you know, started firing, that's exactly what she went to. Regardless yeah. of what session she sat in and kumbaya circles she's probably done. And yeah, I mean, I think that goes with you know, when I think of having taken the Undoing Racism workshop for, through the People's Institute for Survival and Beyond, is you have to connect head to heart to gut when you want to dismantle racism because on an individual level, right, when you see how white people have internalized being racist, it's all heady. This proportion, when you talk to white people about this and unwoke people of color, it's all very heady which was the point of my post, right? When I, when I posted on my rondering, don't walk away, I was using the framework of courageous conversations about race to push people, particularly white folks and API folks. Like that's where I felt like I had some license and some nudging to do, right? Was say, if this is morally intellectually wrong for you, good, and I'm gonna push you. Can you feel this in your body? And it's gotten a little to my meditation practice, right? When you feel discomfort, you know, one of the things you get taught is not to push it away, is to let it sit. 
And for me, a lot of my discomfort obviously can hit you in all of your chakras and all of your body. Discomfort for me disproportionately stays, sits in my stomach. My third chakra, the root chakra, right? <laughs> I'm not gonna, I, I can't even explain what root chakra is. I don't, I, I don't have the, the dictionary <laughs> in front of me. You know what I'm saying? Like, but like when you let those things, there, there's something about sitting with discomfort and like feeling it and letting your, get it charged through your body. Like, what if that person, what if George Floyd, what if Ahmaud Arbery was your brother, your white brother, your son? How would you feel if someone was murdered? I want you to sit, don't avoid it. No, it can't be, that would never, no, no. It's murder. I put a gun to his head and he like, how would you feel if that was, if you felt that was unjust? How would you react? What would your, what's going through your body? Are you avoiding? Are you feeling nothing? Like, what are you feeling in that moment, right? Because I think that some of it, like, when you don't get connected to your emotional body, which I do my, you know, kind of quasi-scientific, like neuroscience lesson here, right? You know, our emotional brain and all that processing is like part of like what connects us to other animals, right? These emotions, the fear and flight response, right? It's very deeply ingrained in like the structure of our brains, right? You know, the higher level thinking, you know, this more intellectual argument, right? Is you might argue is come from uh, our higher level cortical thinking, right? The creation of our frontal cortex, our neocortex, allows us to have the conversation about like, well, that is unjust because blah, 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 right? And heady stuff is important, right? But I think you're right, you know, Jonathan, we, we and white people in particular, are disconnected from their bodies, from racism. White privilege allows you to like block it all off and be like, give the stiff arm. I don't have to deal with it, right? Because if I feel the emotions of it, I either cry because I don't want to deal with it, which is one way to like distance, right? But also is the crying coming from a place of like, I'm feeling this, what's going on and starting to go through the emotions of like, what people, psychologists talk about, like, are you feeling shame? Are you feeling guilt? Well, good, but why? And how do you sit with it? Right. What are you going to start doing about it, right? This is where the relational action part of like the courageous conversations about race framework, I think becomes incredibly important. Right? Oh yeah. I mean, I got a meditation about it yesterday. Yeah. Um, the guy, he's a, a Franciscan monk. Mm. Um, okay. And so he's coming a lot from the Catholic activist tradition, not maybe the mainstream Catholic. Ah, uh, you know? yeah. I, yeah. Know those folks. And, a lot and, of the Jesuits so come from that. Yeah. Yeah. And so he's, yep. Yep. And so he's talking about um, yeah. that. And he, he linked it with Paulo Freire. And he's saying how, like, you know, he basically was saying that although Freire didn't really write about his faith, you can see that any real uh, living out of the gospel Mm. has to be, you know, is is like is necessarily connected to this critical pedagogy of like being in relationship with people, the people you quote unquote want to help. You have to be in relationship with them. And he talks about dialoguing, right? And like in dialoguing. Not only do you better understand, you know, you, you release your personal agenda, you pick up their agenda, right? Because if you want right. to help them, you need to understand what they want. Seeing them as a human, that's when you really see the fullness of God, right? Because you're a creation mm. of God, as is that person. And so yes. it's only in relationship that we get all of it. And so I felt like, I was like, man, this yeah, is what we, we need, right? Like she could have Miss Cooper or anyone else, they can have head knowledge, but outside of meaningful engagement with the 
the other, right? Whoever that, whether that's African-Americans, Asian-Americans, indigenous people, on and on and on. Outside of relationship with the, the, the other group, it's not going to, it's not going to get to the heart. No, because she hasn't had, and it sounds like no people any relationships where she's been able to see the humanity mm-hmm. in a black man yeah. or had proximity for sure mm-hmm. to enough black men. Um, I mean, there's so much of it. Like I talked about this the last time, you know, with Brian Stevens and my riff on like Brian Stevens and talking about proximity is really, you know, how do we have multiple relationships with people who don't look like you to be able to see the full humanity and spectrum of other people who don't look like you, which is fraught with like, well, how do you get out of your bubble? Right. And we understand whiteness in this country means that they don't have to, they built fucking suburbs for that. There's white flight. I don't want to be around these black people moving into my neighborhood. Fuck. I'm just going to go move out. How many times? Starting to happen now with COVID nineteen, bro. Yeah. Okay, like deuces. You look at the heat map. The the the. I mean, that's the. It's crazy. Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably COVID. COVID is probably following the redlining. As a you know, as a Filipino you know, man, you necessarily have to leave your community. And, and I know you grew up actually with Caribbean folks and Jamaican folks and stuff. But like, even if you lived in like a Filipino enclave, right? You go to Walmart, you go to the mall, you go to school, you go to work. You are, unless you're working in like, you know, you know, manufacturing or something like that, which can also be very racialized, you cross. And so you become into a relationship with white people. And so I feel like in some ways we are trained to deal or work across lines of difference in ways that like the average white person is not unless they seek it out, like, right? Like a white person doesn't have to, in South Dakota, doesn't have to go to a reservation for anything. And that's why I think sometimes it's hard to get to that heart part because you don't necessarily have to be in relationship with someone different than you, at least not racially, you know? Yeah, I mean, this gets at like, you know, when you start dismantling at the institutional level, right? How do you actually have people this is like what, what's happening with, you know, integration efforts in the New York City DOE. And it's happened, you know, during the civil rights movement in Boston, other cities, right? Is it becomes, is there, we, we obviously believe there's value in having people who don't look like us all learn together and be in community together, right? When people feel like they're being forced to do it without understanding the value proposition, right? You know, at some level, like, unfortunately, like, how do you balance slow march and moving people from where they are with like the urgency you and I and countless others have around like enough is enough. This is bullshit. Yeah. Told you Ron would tell you straight, <laughs> right? He, mm-hmm. I mean, he, he is on it here. You know, I read an article recently that touches upon, you know, the heart of, I think where, where Ron's going there. Uh, it, it was a, uh, an African-American female writer. Really, you know, you can see the anger in her writing about how, in general, the, the, at large, the white American community is regressing to the mean, was a phrase she talked about, right? Like mm-hmm. a couple months ago in the heat of the social unrest, um, support for Black Lives Matter, like do you believe Black Lives Matter, whatever, however they asked the question, was like 59%, almost 60, or 69, something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And it dropped almost 20 points in just the last couple of months and it's this idea that like 
for people of color and our strongest accomplices and co-conspirators, like this is not new mm -hmm. and this is not going away. It's just that the recent spate of murders and violence, it's like it, the, the heat turned up and now the kettle's bubbling over. But there was, there was always a level at which we were simmering, yeah. frustrated, angry, wanting these things to change. Whereas that, that person, you know, that well-meaning white person who gets to come in and out of this work, right, as it is convenient, there's a level of fatigue, right? Like yeah. they don't, they, they're tired of hearing this, even though for us, we don't have the, we don't have the, I don't want to say privilege. I don't want to overuse the word, but we don't have the, the. I, th I think it is privilege. I, I think it is privilege to, to uh, as a, a white person, to be able to go, you know what? I'm just not going to talk about this. I'm not going to comment this. I'm going to log off Facebook. Hey, hey listen, white people, I'm telling you right now, I, I'm, I am a white man, and I can turn Facebook off all I want to, but our friends of color can't. You turn off Facebook, and then you go out on the sidewalk, and racism is there. Right. And, and, and so I, Jonathan, I think the word privilege is right in that there is a privilege to be able to, to not engage. There's a privilege to go. Yes. I believe that black lives matter. Oh, wait a minute. That requires work. Uh, I'm not willing to do that work. Right. Like, like at some mm -hmm. point it becomes too much, but when you're a person of color, it's a matter of living. Right. Right, it, 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 on Maslow's hierarchy of need, it becomes an essential thing. Whereas for, for a, a white person who has not experienced that, it, it, is, it is a privilege to be able to dial out. Right, and, and I think to add to what you're saying, it's not even just, oh, Black Lives Matter, wait a minute, it's work, I don't wanna do it. It's also just the way that the, the ability to, um, or redirect the conversation in a way to let yourself off where it's like, well, I, of course I believe black lives matter. I believe all lives matter. Or of course I believe in black lives matter, but I don't support the organization, right? Like just try to like play semantics and get picky and like try to, you know, or of course I support this, but I don't support uh, pro the, 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 the looting when we've seen, what was it, like 90 some odd percent of the, of the demonstrations and the protests have been nonviolent and have not created massive destruction. And the fact that some of these, one of these stupid gender reveals did more damage uh -huh. in terms of whatever they did, set out fireworks, set fires, whatever, did more damage than all of the protesting this summer combined. And by the way, check your history. We're all really proud of the Boston Tea Party, which was looting folks, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> check it when you when you're when you're waving that flag and and so I, but but i also wanted to to double down here and because the the thing that really gets us in the most trouble is operating in a sense of false dichotomy here right right the 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 powers that be the dominant culture benefits when we reduce things down to you're a good person or a bad person you're in a bucket or you're in B bucket and that's it. And, and there's a lot of, of um, equity uh, authors and scholars and a lot of uh, race scholars who, who really are challenging our thinking there to go. It, it's not about being a good person, right? Uh, Jay Smooth has a video on YouTube 
um, in which he talks about it, if you're, you're either a good person and you're not racist or you're a bad person and you're racist, which means that um, if you're not batting a thousand, you're striking out every time. Mm-hmm. And that's not the way it is. Uh, Dolly Chug says, like, we want good-ish people. Uh, Verne Myers says, I don't, want, I don't want good people. I want real people. I want people to go, I understand that I am neither good nor bad. And the term well-intended white person means that you're willing to do the work. You're willing to recognize that, oh, wait a minute, I did this thing. And, and it, it was not productive. It was not helpful for my friends of color, for, the, for communities of color or, or, or marginalized groups. And I'm willing to, to change and respond and act. I think the difference is I'm willing to repost Black Lives Matter, but if you're saying, well, then have a conversation with your dad. Hmm. If, if we're not willing to do that, then are we real? That's privilege, right? Like yeah. that, that's, a, that's a form of privilege that you can leverage to start dismantling the system. Right. I think that's why I, and I agree with everything you said. And, and that's why I'm so glad we were able to have Ron on because, I mean, he has, as, a, so as an Asian male, as a Filipino, as someone in the AAPI community, he kind of lives in this sort of gray area I'm not, and, I'm, and I am saying this, not him, where he identifies as a person of color, but many others would look to him as, oh, he's Asian. He's not like the others. And so he could easily revert into that privilege. And not only does he intentionally, you know, fellowship and break bread and, and build community with other BIPOC educational leaders and work toward these issues that, that we're all fighting for to ensure that every kid has a great education, that every kid, you know, regardless of where they grew up, where they live, has equal access. But then he also goes back into those spaces like that social media group and tries to engage in the conversation with others and bring others to this work. And I think he is a great example for all of us. As a, if, whether you identify as a person of color or you identify as a, a, a well-intended white person seeking to be a true co-conspirator or accomplice, there are things we can learn from Ron um, that will help us all be stronger, better advocates for the world that we want, for the schools that we want. And, and I, I am living in that space of going, man, it's all about building relationships with people who are not like you. Can't imagine how much better we would be if we got out of our echo chambers and we go, you know what? I disagree with you. Let's, let's have a relationship. Let's build a relationship and let me understand what it's like to be you. Mm. Or, or, or at, least, at least get a glimpse because I'm never going to really understand it man, there's some power in there. Uh, and I want to thank Ron too. And I want to thank uh, Sophia. Yeah. <laughs> and Asa, yeah. the, the, the youngest board members we've had uh, to date. So uh, thank you for joining this episode. Uh, take us home, Mr. Santos Silva. You know, I, I just want to d- double down on what we were just saying. I, you know, if you, whether you are uh, identify as AAPI, whether you identify as white, like me uh, as a black person, but you're in a, uh, an indigenous space, you know, if you are like working across the lines of difference, I just, you know, want to encourage you, support you, lift you up because that work of building those relationships, the way Doc just said, I think that's the only way we build the, the, the world that we want, right? Like a world where who you are, who you love, where you live, um, really just, only identify like the many beautiful dimensions of who you are and are not 
you know, are not writing a narrative about you that denied you certain opportunities, right? If we truly believe, and I do, that we live in uh, the greatest country and that we uh, on earth and that we have the opportunity to be that much greater, then it really begins with um, building those relationships, loving one another and uh, to build a place for everyone. So keep doing this tremendous work that you do. It is vital, it is essential, and it's the only way we get there. Thank you for tuning in. And we will see you next time. In the meantime, stay forward. Yeah. Yeah.